0: Okay, so Eric, it's really good to see you, and I'm glad to hear that you're making some progress. But a progress is. uh, Let us say, once we get into the groove of progress, then we expect that same progress. Mm -hmm. Right, but things are different. Circumstances are different. Sometimes you're tired, sometimes you're not and uh when we have the idea that we should feel a certain way all the time we're bound to be disappointed a much better way of looking at it is is do you feel good enough right now and if we don't feel good enough right now then we can look at what we're doing So this is what the investigation is all about is is to look at what's going on in the mind, looking in fact at the thoughts and the thoughts that you're having are the thoughts of, I have no energy. I feel tired, right? Now those thoughts may be reflecting how you actually feel, but if you reflect with those thoughts, it will be in a cycle. You think tired, you feel tired. You think tired, you feel tired, right?
1: Mhm.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh, even if you're tired, you can still have just enough energy or just enough effort left to change what you're thinking from I feel tired into, yeah, but I can handle it. Yeah, so what? It's tired. I'm still okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or you can think of it from the perspective of, aha, I see you tired thoughts. Mm -hmm. And often the tiredness has to do with the fact that we're not breathing very well anyway. So if you start taking deep breaths, the breathing itself will energize the body, making it tingly alive, vibrantly alive. But when we feel tired and we don't feel like we've got the energy or the effort to even take a deep breath. OK. <clears throat> it's um, difficult. Uh, to uh, have any practice at all without the knowledge of how important the breathing is that the breathing is foundational. Um, One student just pointed out that the Buddha says that of of all of the bodies, the body of the breath is the body of bodies. Another way of saying it is, is that you're going to die in two minutes. All you have to do to stay alive, though, is to take another breath. I mean, that's how close to the edge we are. So you can imagine that someone is in a particular situation to where the next breath is, he's so tired, or there's so much pressure on his chest that taking that next breath is just too much work. What happened?
2: But I haven't gotten to that point. (laughs) Not even close. But.
0: Well, maybe you can even take a deep breath now. Yeah, I mean, it's really all right. I mean, I'm talking about breathing. That's the funniest thing, that I talk to students about Anapanasanti, and nobody is doing it while we're talking about it. If you can't do anapanasati while we're talking about it, how do you ever expect to be able to practice it? I am, I am.
2: Deeper, you mean.
0: I'm sorry, what?
2: No, I I was doing it, but I'm going to try even deeper.
0: (laughs) Okay, all right.
2: (laughs) Yeah, the thing is, also, when I do it uh, for a sustained amount of time, uh, it becomes mechanical.
0: All right. Well, anything that you do sufficiently over a long period of time so that you have lost your focus on it, it does become mechanical not only that but it becomes tiring yeah that's why I recommend students not practice for long periods of time like they recommend with the Mahasi and the Goenka system of sitting for an hour or 45 minutes to an hour Mm -hmm. but rather sitting for shorter periods of time recognizing that uh uh, when someone goes to the gym and they're working out, they don't work out for hour after hour after hour until they're really, really spending years in the gym. Mm-hmm. The first few times you go to the gym, 10 or 20 minutes, and that's all you need. And so that's part of the reason why I recommend that you do this more often, like six times a day <clears throat> for 10 minutes. That's a better way of spending an hour.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my sitting practice is, is uh, shorter as you recommended, but I still, since I work at home cleaning and cooking and stuff, I uh, I have the habit of um, playing some Tibetan bells that mark every five seconds, ring every five seconds, and I'm breathing along with that. And I mean that the it's not that the focus fades as much as the intention isn't as joyful you know but it, it has to do with what you
0: in other mean. words you're doing it because the bell says to do it <laughs> you've got a new boss in the house is that right <laughs> well let's give this story then imagine the, how much effort it takes for Johnny to take out the trash two different episodes the first episode is, is that mom goes into the kitchen and she sees what a mess it is. And she says, Johnny, you've got to take out the trash. It's your job to take out the trash. And he says, yes, mom. And he goes and he picks up the trash and he takes it out to the street or whatever. Second scenario, Johnny pops into the kitchen and he sees all that trash and says, hey, mom would really be pleased if I clean that stuff up. And so he gets it all up and he takes it out to the road. And all their difference was, was Johnny's attitude. One, he was told to do it. And the other one, he had the idea that this is a good thing to do. Okay. So we can actually have our moment-by-moment practice that same way. If you have a bell go off that's actually ordering you to take a deep breath, then you're going to be like Johnny being told by his mom to go take out the trash. And you're going to resent it. And there's not going to be much joy there. <laughs> but if you have on your own uh, uh, sati to remember, oh, that's right, I can, I can take a deep breath now. I can feel good right now. I don't have to wait until the bell rings and then hate it when the bell rings. Okay, so these psychological games are dangerous if we don't know how we're doing it. It can be uh, skillful. Or it can be resentful. Mm-hmm. So don't let the bell be your boss. Yeah. Because if the bell is the boss, you'll hate it. You've got to become the boss and love it. Got it. So this is how we're practicing is the sati is to remember oh I could have done it this way. Or oh I don't have to think about that email or, Oh, I don't have to think about that argument with aunt Susie or, Oh, I don't have to think about going to the bank or, Oh, whatever it is, it's out there someplace else or in some other time that the only thing that's really worth thinking about is what we're doing right in our vicinity, your world and when, uh, You had an argument with Susie yesterday, but now Susie is in New Jersey. Susie is not in your reality, only the conception of Susie is in your reality. She's gone, but here we go, continuing to have that argument with her in the mind or whatever it is that we've got on our mind and generally what what we have on our mind is out of sight. So uh, a better way of uh, beginning to look at practice is is that if it's not here, if it's not in sight, if it's not within hearing range, then it is not worth spending time on
1: while we're sitting
0: for that 10 minutes. Mm-hmm okay when i'm talking about all of this i'm talking about it while we're actually practicing for that 10 minutes because if we continue to practice this way for 10 minutes then those kind of thoughts will begin to occur between the 10 minute times and then you begin to build sati throughout the day but while we're actually practicing for the 10 minutes the thing of of it is is that whatever we're doing we're doing it with our immediate surroundings Well, if you got your eyes closed, then your immediate surroundings are small. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: All we've got then is our own mind and our own feelings and um, uh, our own bodily sensations and a few things like that. And if we close our eyes and are in a quiet place, in a secluded place, then we can really pay attention to what's left this is one of the reasons why we do want to practice in seclusion by the way is because when we're out in the world it's very noisy a lot of input and we generally go through the process of input think feel input think feel input think feel input think feel if we stop having so much input for 10 minutes then we can start um, working with the input that's left. And one of the inputs that's left is the sensations of the body, which we don't normally pay much attention to until we start with practicing meditation. And when we do, generally we don't like it.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And so we have to work on that. Gladdening the mind also is one's right effort. So this is kind of a little package deal, but there's only just a few things in there. <clears throat> and that is the, the sati is to continue to remember. Well, if we've got a lot of external input coming in, then it's kind of hard to remember. And a little example of that, by the way, is the, is the wall drawing that I saw in Washington, DC. And it's a uh, uh, a, a line drawing of a guy standing in a pond surrounded by alligators he's up to his waist and the caption is is that when you're up to your waist in alligators it's hard to remember your original intention was to drain the swamp (laughs) so if our swamp is full of alligators we need to go to an area of the swamp where there's no alligators so that we can remember that the original intention or our intention now is to drain the swamp.
2: Mm -hmm. How does that balance with uh, the other instruction of making friends everywhere you go? Is that after you have drained the swamp
0: of it? Right. We're talking about that 10 minute period where it's time now to make friends on the inside. Yes. Let's talk about it from two different perspectives is how big is your world right now? Are you intentionally making your world small so that you can practice? Are you Mm -hmm. intentionally taking the skills of the practice into a a wider world?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And so these are both sides of it. Friends on the inside, friends on the outside.
2: It's like two modes of existence at first, or isn't that a good way to define it?
0: Uh, no, let us say that it is like existence. Mm-hmm. With one mode. On one occasion there is too much input to deal with, and on the other occasion there's not much input to deal with, and therefore we can deal with the little bit of input easily.
2: Mm-hmm. So when when your world is little, you can be sure you're making like the right thing. And when it's too big, you can only hope for the best. Or what?
0: Uh, when things are, let us say, busy, mm-hmm. then we feel busy. And when things are not busy, because we've gotten away from the busyness then we can relax because there's not much busyness. And then the process of that relaxing is to get rid of the, what you would call residual busyness. In other Mm -hmm. words, we go into the world that's all shook up. We go into the world and we get shook up. We get away from the world and we're still shook up, but the world is going to continue to shake and we can kind of settle down. Okay, so that's the way that we do it is is that when we come out of the world for that 10 minutes, we're going to be bringing the world with us. Never mind, we're not in the world right now. We're going to pay attention to what's happening on the inside. Remembering. Mm -hmm. So the first kind of memory is to remember to take that 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. So a
2: question about an advanced practice there. Uh, would you say that an advanced practitioner, it's not that he or she is unshakable, but that they know that they can deal with the shaking and have a place within them that's glad?
0: Uh Yes, let's put it in three phases. Good in the beginning, good mm-hmm. in the middle. And good in the end. Good in the beginning is being able to wait, get away from it all and get the mind cleaned out. Okay? Good in the middle means that when we come back into the world and we get shook up, that we can get back out of it very easily because we've been practicing that in the beginning. And then in the end, we can go into the world and not get shook up. But that's the later later time that each time the issue would be, uh, how to deal with getting shook up. The answer to that is what kind of thoughts you're going to have. Are you going to, when you feel shook up, are you going to think shook up? Are you going to think more wholesome thoughts than shook up? Like, oh, I'm shook up, but I can handle this. That's a more wholesome thought. I'm all shook up. That's an unwholesome thought. But never mind, I can handle all shook up. I'm okay. That's a wholesome thought. Another wholesome thought would think, oh, I can just relax and take a deep breath. I can let that shook upness just kind of settle down. And this is how we're wanting to practice for those 10 minutes, six times a day, is to get ourselves into a state where everything is okay. Shook or not shook is not the point. The point is, is are we feeling okay? Are we feeling satisfied? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. That's it. Well, in order to get ourselves satisfied, we have to have satisfying thoughts. And a satisfying thought would be, yeah, things are shook up, but I can handle that. At least I'm looking at the shook up rather than just being shook up. Mm -hmm. But in fact, that's a way of thinking about it also is, is that the shook upness is there, but we don't have to be shook up just because shook upness is there. We can just look at it and say, "Uh aha, I see this shook up mind. I am not shook up, but the mind is. OK, and so we can also say it like that is is that most people will say on occasions when they're angry, I am angry. I'm frustrated. That's all shook up, right? And then we can recognize, no, the body is agitated. The body is shook up, but the mind can be stable. And the mind can have unshaking thoughts like settle down. Everything is OK. Taking a deep breath. And then the shook-upness goes away. Okay. Now, the thing of it is, is that when there is a lot of shaking and a lot of shook-upness going on, another way, by the way, of talking about it is noise. That a musical note has a frequency that's maintained, and it sounds pleasant to the ear because it fits in with the last part of the note, that it starts the note and continues along that in fact, when a singer is singing that high peach note on tune and continues to sing, it, everybody gets kind of amazed. Why? Because the point is, is that our life is noisy. It's shaking. So we can think of then when there's noise in the mind, there's going to be noise in the body. When the shaking is in the mind, there's going to be shaking in the body. And when there's shaking in the body or noise in the body, there's going to be shaking in the mind. And they're going to be doing this together, all wrapped up together. The point is, can you remember to say, aha, it's not me that's shaking? And that's a new thought. That's an unshaking thought. So we begin to have unshaking thoughts. Now, also you use the word tired. If things are not shaking, if things are not heavy, then it doesn't matter whether you're tired or not. Tiredness is relative. That in fact, if there's a lot of shaking going on or things that are carried or heavy, then the feeling of tiredness is because of the heavy weight. If we put the weight down, then we don't feel tired after that.
2: Mm. I didn't quite follow you on that one.
0: Okay, tiredness is relative. Yeah. If you are tired and there's nothing to do, then the tiredness is irrelevant. Hmm. Doesn't mean anything. But if you've got great, big, heavy things to pick up and move from here to there and you're tired, you don't like being the tired because it's interfering with doing the job that you want to do this moving heavy things. Okay. And often we're trying to move heavy things in our mind, like a boss or maybe a US government or maybe a political party i mean we can, we pick up very heavy things and try to move them around and when we feel that we can't do it that's when we use words like tired okay mm-hmm. always a good example of this would be going to the gym the beginner is going to the gym he's not going to be able to keep lifting weights for five, ten, or twenty minutes, nor is he going to be able to lift heavy weights. But if he goes in and does a few reps, a few until he gets tired, and then he stops, a lot of meditators will say, Well, I was okay in the beginning of the meditation, but then I got tired. Well, that's normal. That's why we don't want to sit so long.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, and because in, we get in tired. my
2: In my case, uh, I have a lot of free time, and I've been freeing up even more time because of the practice. Because like I used to spend a lot of time watching videos or smoking Mm -hmm. or going out to eat and stuff, and it's losing the appeal a little bit. And that's why it's not that I sit a lot, but I go to a hammock and I relax. You know, I breathe. Uh, I go sit in the in the rocking chair and stuff. Okay. Uh, if you don't uh, advise practicing a lot at the stage I'm in, then like, what other wholesome way to spend the time uh, could there be? Like more socializing?
0: Um, actually, uh, we could talk about it in the sense of uh, talking about dhamma with others like calling me right now is as good as much of your meditation would be. And also we're, uh, we're working on building a community of Dhamma friends. Now a community of Dhamma friends is exactly what is referred to as Sangha. And as you probably heard, Sangha is uh, also referred to as part of the triple gem. The Buddhaṃ saranam Gachami, Dhammam, saranam Gachami, Sangam, Sadanam Gachami. Uh, that community of spiritual friends is what Buddhism is based upon. And yet, uh, and that's all over Asia. And yet in Western Buddhism, because of the individualistic way of uh, thinking, Everyone thinks that I've got to practice all of my meditation all on my own. And so uh, if you actually spend time with others who uh, have the intention of talking Dhamma, then the two of you or the group of you uh, can share like that and spend that time in the Dhamma that in fact this is part of the path uh, for the beginner is to become more and more curious, more and more enthusiastic, more and more eager for the Dhamma. Until the Dhamma becomes more important than any one other thing in life, and then it becomes more important than all of the other things combined in life. It becomes the guess, number yeah. one item. Okay. <laughs> And that when it becomes the number one most important thing in your life, a uh, bit more important than all of the other things combined, then this would be a good definition of the fruit of sodapan, especially if it's got that delight and the joy because we're eager for it, that we're not devoted to it. We're not, uh, let us say determined for the Dhamma, but rather we're enthusiastic, We're thrilled by the Dhamma. We get great benefit out of it and we know it and we like it. Okay, and so it has that great joy that's built in with it. And the way that we can accumulate that and build that up is by speaking with others who have the same intention. To share the Dhamma together. Okay, Uh, and so we're already doing that on Skype now. There's uh, a couple of Sangha groups. Have you, uh, are you seeing some of the stuff that's coming from that?
2: Yeah, I I briefly uh, skimmed through your message and it looked like something messy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so that would be the answer to your question, Dan, is, is that when you're not actually practicing on your own mind, as I breathe in, I breathe in joy and as I breathe out, I relax. You can go to Skype and share that with others as well as hear what they're they're saying so that we keep each other focused on the wholesome. That's
2: good. Yeah, that I, I've joined some was, some Friday calls and it's nice.
0: So those are the two sides of it. One is what you're doing in seclusion. We intentionally get ourselves in seclusion to cut down on the noise. And then we practice to get the noise out of the mind, get some stability. So now when you're going back into society, you've got a choice. Are you going to go into society that's wholesome intentionally? Are you going back into uh, society at large? Because society at large is generally unwholesome. And so if you go from individual practice into Sangha, that's a much better thing to do is to associate with Dhamma friends, Dhamma dudes. And soon we will begin to have a network of Dhamma dudes.
2: uh, want to do in the short term apart from the Friday calls and the Skype chat?
0: I'm sorry, what was your question?
2: Um, no, is this is there anything that's coming up in the short term? Um, like new to the project or um, for now it'll just be like the Friday and, and weekend calls and the group chat and Skype?
0: Right. The whole point of uh, the project is to develop Sangha. Mm -hmm. And that um, in the beginning, the idea was, let's get the organization of Sangha together, when in fact, the people who were doing that organization didn't have Sangha yet. So we really need to get the guys going So that we've got a group of people who are really working together and dedicated as we take on more and more of the project which would be reaching out to dhamma teachers and and um, uh, trying to connect dhamma teachers with students as well as uh, on an advanced level um, let us say in the middle where someone really wants to devote their life to the dhamma where Dhamma becomes more important even than eating. That's the kind of dude that we want to get uh, uh, into the right place at the right time, because otherwise uh, it's very difficult for individuals to say, yes, the Dhamma is uh, the most important thing in my life, except for eating.
2: Yeah, we all need social support.
0: Well, Uh, The question is, do we have the wisdom to get it easily, or do we have to fall back into the society's uh, mentality, if you don't work, you don't eat? Because if you make the Dhamma a work in the sense of uh, source of income, then you're more interested in the source of the income than you are in the Dhamma. That's Mm -hmm. what happens to psychologists, that the psychologists wind up needing their clients. Why do the psychologists need their clients? Mm
2: -hmm. To pay the bills.
0: Right, to pay the bills. Exactly. Well, if the psychologist had no bills, then he could really help people. Yeah. Okay. So this is the way is, is that how can we get our psychologists, our budding Dhamma dudes into a position to where they're already fed. And now they can devote themselves a hundred percent to the Dhamma. That's where we have real Sangha. And that can be done. That's actually easier than most people think because the Western mentality is, um, that all, oh, in order for me to teach the Dhamma, I need a retreat center. In order to, uh, to get a retreat center, we got to buy some land and build some buildings. And so now the Dhamma teacher is not a Dhamma teacher at all. He's a construction engineer. He's mm-hmm. a fundraiser. Okay. And then when he gets the buildings built, now he's a, uh, a retreat center manager about 99% of the time and a teacher 1% of the time. But that's the model that was set up in the in the early days in the United States and now is in, uh, all over Western Buddhism, to where there's a much, much better model, the Asian model. And that is, is that you go to something that's already established. The Buddha was the only one that had to establish the Sangha. Since then, the Sangha is established. And right now in the United States, there's approximately... Uh, oh, let us say between 350 and 400 uh, watts. And all of them, I know, because I've been in about 100 of them in the United States personally and know what's going on in these watts and know that we can find these Dhamma dudes who want to devote their lives to the Dhamma and hook them up with watts so that they can have room and board and good Sangha friends in the Asian community. And then that group together can then start running meditation classes on Wednesday nights and then do a uh, weekend retreat. And as that grows, they'll be doing two week retreats there at Wat, where everybody's just sleeping on the floor. That's okay, great. so that's that, <laughs> that's the way that we can get this thing started. Uh, but in the beginning, uh, <clears throat> we have to get the guys who were really kind of gung ho at meeting one another and operating in wholesome fashion. And so that's what we're doing with Skype and with Discord. We're just getting groups of people together that are becoming really good friends, even though we've not been in contact with each other. But that's also not necessarily the case because we've already had, for instance, um, another Eric. He spells his with a K uh, has been uh, we call it uh, proof of concept that he's been more more than six months in uh, in the Watt. And then also he and Keyshawn, Keyshawn took a vacation and went to Washington and met up with, uh, with Eric, and then they met up with uh, Robert. And so we've had uh, three Sangha guys in the woods together, and they're still now really good friends. And so we've got that as a core, but others are growing around it. And so we've got uh, uh, and so I would really invite you to uh, start posting and uh, uh, sharing your Dhamma experience and sharing your problems, too. So that those guys will jump right on them the way that I do <laughs> with great joy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I so those are the two areas. Then one is, is to spend 10 minutes six times a day making friends with yourself. hmm. Relaxing, enjoying, rather than having it set up the way that you have, that every five minutes the alarm goes off and then, oh, no, here it comes again.
2: Yeah, it, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't
0: good either. <laughs> no, it wasn't good because of your your attitude. You see, all of the effort was put in when you set the alarm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Where is the uh, the effort, uh, the right effort when the alarm rings? It's not there. So now you're being told that you've got to do it rather than remembering, oh, yeah, I could do this. In fact, these are the uh, almost all of the apps on cell phones, meditation apps of this kind of thing has that kind of, issue mm-hmm. that they have random bells ringing and people are supposed to stop what they're doing and have fun and nobody wants to stop what they're doing to have fun when the bell rings
1: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. and so the better way to do it is to have it uh not not as a strict schedule but an idea for instance when you first wake up in the morning that's a good Ooh, time i've to been do doing that
2: i've been really enjoying that. It, it has become a habit, and it's, it's changed my mornings. Okay. So
0: <laughs> if you can do it in the mornings, then you can do it any time that you remember throughout the day. Yeah. <laughs> and you can capitalize on that success. See, now you're remembering you can do this.
2: Yeah, I got a little stiff.
1: Yeah.
0: So, Does that answer your question? I think that we've gotten a pretty good handle on this for you to get back to the practice of, oh, yeah, that's right, I can just gladden my mind. Yeah, I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. It's Mm -hmm. just a bunch of noise, just a bunch of shaking, all shook up. I don't need to be shook up by thinking about things that are all shook up.
1: Oh. Man.
0: Eric, it's been really good to see you again. I hope to see you more Thanks. often. Yeah, I'll be I'll be um appearing in, in the chat room. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Anything else? You got any other questions? Yeah, but I think I'm good for today. Okay, great. Then we'll save it and do it all another day and we'll do it again.
2: Yeah. Have a good
0: one. We'll see you, Eric. Thanks.
1: Bye bye. (laughs)